As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Do you regret? No, okay. I don't regret anything. Okay, not so. the palace, not uh, the interview, <laughs> not the wine, uh, nothing. So you can take that off. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Another week without Manchester United playing, but another sizzling hot exclusive from Adam Crafton. This time speaking to Eric Cantona. We'll reflect on that over the course of this episode. We'll have a look at how the Reds have been doing on international duty as well. But before we do that, I need to introduce you to our host of Merry Men today. Carl Anker's with us. Hello, Carl. Hello, mate. How are you getting on? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, and Andy Mitten's here as well. Hi, Andy. Hello, mate. Right. I said we'll get into Cantona, but I think we should say what we've been up to first because it's a little weird. There's been Europa League, um, there's not been much Premier League, now there's been international football. Arsenal feels like a age ago, Carl, doesn't it? How have you been feeling your time? It does feel like a long time ago since Arsenal. Um, I have been watching some international football, not too much England, I will admit. Uh, I did watch the Netherlands play against Belgium on a Sunday. Uh, and I also saw Terrell Malassia play a little bit at left centre-back in a back three. Which left centre-back? Left centre-back in a back and three. And we were debating Martinez being small, weren't we? I know, I know. So Imagine the heads that would fall off if Malassia played centre-half for United. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I also, well, I tried to get some of the highlights of Tunisia's game against Comoros because I thought, oh, Hannibal Medjury, he might get some game time here. He got about 10 minutes in the second half so yeah that was my international break so far Andy I went to Helsinki along with a team of former Manchester United players uh, for two reasons one to see them play football and beat a team of Finnish legends in front of a couple of thousand I got roped into playing a game before that were they finished (laughs) (laughs) I I heard that a few times (laughs) and two to see the opening of the Red Room which is a private museum in Helsinki with 35,000 items it's owned by United Fan Jera and United fans from around Europe including 16 from Malta who've got a really well established supporters club flew into Helsinki for the weekend there were dinners football lots of merrymaking and the weather was good in Helsinki so it was a, a really enjoyable weekend and Nice to see those former players getting on with each other, slaughtering each other, enjoying the days of when they were all back in the dressing room together. Who were you out there with, Andy? Brian Robson was the manager and he took it seriously. 
Wes Brown was his captain. Uh, David May, as ever, was the the social convener. Got in all uh, the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at one point, he just decided it was going to go on the pitch and overrode his manager and went on and made the substitution himself mid match, which which amused me. It was a right decision actually. And um, you had younger lads because it's all about veterans football is all about age. So. You might not have been the best player in the world, but if you're 35, you're going to be better than pretty much any 55-year-old. So Luke Chadwick was playing. He's still a good player. Man of the match was a 47-year-old Ben Thornley. Yeah? That was fantastic. Like Zidane. <laughs> and, and, and got slaughtered with people saying, finally you found a position on a, in a football team. <laughs> with, and Ben's got a good enough humour about him to, to go along with that. He's great. And uh, yeah, you've got lads like Danny Simpson who were, were playing championship football last year and Premier League football not so long ago. So there's still some very still good Still on players. the lookout for a club, I imagine, as well. I don't think he'd turn one down. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's kept himself in good shape, Danny. And he, he's, he's living locally. He has boots and he will travel if you need to get through to Danny. Get in touch via this podcast and... He, you'll get a a, champion, a a Premier League winning yeah. uh, fullback. Yeah, we won't take much commission either, will we? Fifteen percent, maybe something <laughs> like that. Um, that should suffice. We we out with the Mandy as well in Helsinki. I imagine that's quite an experience. A group of former United players in a bar in Finland. Yeah, my uh, wife came with me because she quite likes to see me sometimes, and I've got an awful lot of travel going on at the moment. So she was like the only female in that social group and they were all on best behaviour with her. They were very polite. They basically used her as a springboard to abuse me. Why not? As in like, what are you doing with him sort of thing? But they, they, uh, they know how to have a good time and they took the football seriously. Just really nice to see because some of them have had pretty rough rides and it's nice to see them smiling and to getting that dressing room banter back that that's what they miss more than anything some of them explicitly told me that and people like Keith Gillespie who is also a good character he's quite prepared to fly from from Belfast and to join in and Robbo's like the the overlord he oversees everything and they all really look up to him because he's Brian Robson but they get to see cities when they're players they don't actually see where they go and that's a regret. They travel around the world. They go everywhere. Everything's done for them. But it's basically plane, bus, stadium, bus, hotel, plane. And they go to some of the best places in the world, but they don't really see them. So to go to museums in Helsinki with them and to see them ask pretty innocent questions. And we went on a wooden sailing boat with them. And they're like, where are we going? We're like, well, nowhere. Just going on a boat for an experience of going on a boat. And like... David Mays out of his shorts on. Like, why are you wearing your shorts? It's Helsinki. It's not Benidorm, Oldham, mate. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, Oldham lads wear shorts. <laughs> Just fi- finds the whole thing funny. So it, it was nice. I feel like there's a lot of football coming up and mentally I'm sort of preparing for that. And you know, Carl's a journalist as well. You, We've had a bit of a break, haven't we? An unexpected break. But we know there's just so much coming now. And when these games come, it is non-stop, including on this podcast. And you've got to mentally prepare for more and more material all the time. So I, I was writing an article about it uh, this weekend. I was making notes all the time. I was recording people and speaking to them. But 
I feel like, right, that's it now. We know what's coming. Yeah, I've been the same. I made two flower beds in the front yard, so I'm definitely ready to go back to work <laughs> and get the football going again. Eric Cantona, basically, Adam Crafton's been in Casablanca with him, sipping red wine. The first thing to reflect on that is how insanely jealous I am of that experience because he went out for dinner with him after the interview too. Before we go any further then, let's listen to Adam's take on meeting the man himself. Enter this drawing room in the in the Doge Hotel in Casablanca and he's he's sat in there with a with a glass of wine in his hand, shaven head, beard, shirt open, that little bit of chest hair showing and you're just like he could not be more Eric Cantona if he tried. I think, you know, everyone's seen the videos and everyone's seen him on TV and you know, with the chest puffed out and, and he feels big from a distance. And then when, when you meet him in person, he's even bigger than you think he's going to be. As in taller, he's broader, the chest is out. The accent is, and I say this incredibly endearingly, it's, it's the most French-English accent you could ever have um, and it makes it gives him this this kind of sense of deep profundity when he's talking the way that he pauses the little bits of punctuation and because of everything he achieved as a player I, I don't know if it's possible to be like the personification of an aura that that's what you feel when you're around him when people say oh that person's got an aura and I've never really known what's meant by that, you know, in rea in reality. And then you spend time with him, you're like, okay, that's it. Brilliant. Um, have you ever met Cantona, Carl? I unfortunately have not. I did have a, a glancing personal and professional experience with him a couple of years ago where I was asked to do a bunch of prep work for a possible interview with him. Uh, and then partway through the process, when we were like, oh, we're going to get to interview Cantona in a little bit. We get an email from him. Uh, no subject on it, no title on it. And, and it's just essentially 650 words of his own life and how he wants the interview to go. So none of the questions about what Manchester United is currently doing and the current manager or not. He tells this amazing life story about how his grandparents met, um, how I think his granddad basically sort of quasi-proposed to his grandmother by going, hello, World War Two is spreading across Europe. Would you like to run away with me? Um, and that <laughs> sort of story, do. and how they spent, and how they spent quite like quite a bit of the formative years of uh, Canton Senior, his dad, is in a cave as they essentially just hiding um, as war is going across Europe, and and Canton explaining how these sorts of experiences and stories are very important for his own political viewpoint. So yeah, if you do get to interview Canton the first 10 questions you have planned will not get answered because Cantona is going to say what Cantona wants to talk about. Yeah, take it away, Eric, and I think you're just happy to because it usually ends up in something interesting, no doubt. Um, I've not interviewed him professionally. I did meet him as a kid and he signed a piece of paper for me outside the cliff. I actually had a Cantona wall in my bedroom as a young lad. No one else was allowed on that wall, only Eric, just pictures of him and there's like a a timeline of like from when he first came to when he finished at United and all the different kits. Um, 
there you go. There's a little view back to Epping Close in Oldham, um, circa 1996. In fact, the day he retired was literally one of the worst days of my life as a young kid because we'd lost the cup final earlier on in the day and then later on in the day, Eric retires. I mean, what a disaster that was. But Andy's about to blow both our anecdotes <laughs> out of the water on Eric Cantona, I'm sure. Take it away, mate. Well, before I say about when I interviewed him, I can relate to you being uh, devastated in 95, uh, he was going to leave Manchester United another time and he, and he went off to Paris. And when stuff like this happens, I get calls and I was on I was on the telly talking about it and I looked devastated. But one of my mates said to me was, you're not devastated because of Canton Arts, because your birds binge you this morning. That's why you're doing it. <laughs> and there was an element of truth in that as well. <laughs> Man, that is a bad day, in fairness. Bad day. Yeah. I think that might even top the cup final defeat, that. Yeah, it was a bad day, especially because I got binned after travelling around for two months and being a completely good boy as well for all those two months because I'm a nice, faithful type of person. Got back to Manchester, yeah, it's not working out between me and you. Do one. Oh, and Eric's going as well. There you go. Ouch. Ouch. Double ouch. Was it raining? Um, I remember Manchester United played Bradford City in a friendly that night, so I went over to Valley Parade and you know, tried to keep spirits up among the troops, but failed. Can't remember the result of that, but with Eric, he's a, he's, a, he's a great interview. We know that. That's why we've got him and why he's so good in the athletic. Probably my most memorable one was uh, 2008. I drove to see him in, in Marseille. I was delivering bad news. I, I was to tell him that Norman Davis, the kit man who'd walked off the pitch with him at Sellers Park after his Kung Fu kick, had, had died the day before. And uh, I wish I'd withheld that news till after the interview because... I told Eric and he said he was visibly upset and said, can we do the interview tomorrow instead? So that meant I had to wait 24 hours while he got his head together in, in Marseille. And then I went back to meet him. He was fantastic. The best line he gave me from that one was uh, I, uh, the, the hooligan. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't kick him hard enough, basically, referring to what happened at Sellers Park and that went round. And he spoke very well of FC United as well, which FC United fans really appreciated at the time. And he's good. And I told him about two friends of mine who'd uh, who'd lost a child to stillborn and were trying to raise money for it. And they were getting, you know, signed shirts and stuff like that. And Eric just got a flip chart and we're in a hotel and it was in like the conference room in a hotel. And he just did this sort of Jean Miro-esque artwork, maybe because of his Catalan roots that Carl was talking about before his grandparents um, escaped Spain from during the, the Spanish Civil War. And he just drew this um, this sort of squiggle and signed it and I rolled it up and I took it back to Manchester and it raised £3,000 because it's Cantona. And to this day, he's still got huge appeal for Manchester United fans. And when he touches on some of the subjects he's touched on in the interview, the political subjects, you can see why he's got huge appeal. He's got a real social conscience. He's very aware of what's going on in the world you can agree or disagree with him but there's heavy political subjects there and he will not have a PR saying no don't talk about this he'll go straight in at the deep end and he'll talk about them and I find myself nodding in agreement with much of what he says he was a hero he was a hero as a player and also as a person and I hear more and more stories about him I heard one last week um, and I just think he's a hero he's a genuine hero and I also saw somebody saying on social media, overrated. And I thought, maybe if you think he's overrated as a, as a player, fair enough. Not that I agree with that. But as a person, nah, he, he had it all. He had magic and 
he was the final piece that led to Manchester United winning the league for the first time in 26 years. That's how long the team had gone. He was a hero. I loved him. Absolutely loved him. Only took him six months to sort that out as well because he didn't arrive until late in November, did he, from Leeds? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right, let's hear from Eric then. We've spoken quite a bit about our impressions and thoughts on him. He spoke about so many different topics in the interview, like Andy just alluded to, from even things like World Wars, about the Qatar World Cup, David Beckham's role in promoting that. But perhaps the most revealing take was the idea of him becoming a football president for Manchester United and an introduction that Srilex Ferguson made between him and Ed Woodward. I have the kind of personality that I don't want to be an, an ambassador and I think uh, an ambassador is a kind of example we spoke about mm. before. You know, to be an ambassador of the club, you have to do the promotion of the club, you know, to do. And me, if I want to say something, I will say it. Mm. Even if it's, uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, the, the people are not happy. But I say also great things. Most of the thing I say, it's great things. But if I, if I think something that uh, the, the people from uh, from the club don't don't like, I'm I'm free to say it. And uh, as an ambassador, you cannot say this kind of thing. So you lose your freedom. Last year, I proposed to the club to become uh, uh, to change their their, their way. Uh, so you have the chairman, and then you have the president, the CEO. Yeah, who yeah. was uh, it was Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward. But Ed Woodward is great in uh, marketing, he's great, in, but he's not great in football. And I think you have a chairman and you should have a president of administration, marketing, and a president of football who is in charge of all decisions in football. I propose them to be president of football. For you to be? Yeah, me to be. And you said this to Ed? Of course, I met him. I met him a few times. Yeah. Okay. But they didn't, they didn't accept it. But I still think, or me or somebody else, mm-hmm. I still think the president of football should be somebody from football, from the clubs, or knows very well the club, or somebody else. They, they now have a football director, John. John yeah, Berger. but it's, yeah, but for football director, it's it's not president of football. Mm-hmm. You know, football director is football director. Above him, you have the president, and above you have the chairman. Now you have the chairman and two presidents and separate. Because they do well in marketing. They do well. They earn a lot of money. You know, since since Ferguson retired in 2013, the club doubled the revenue of the club. 
and they didn't win anything. So if you succeed in football and you have great people in economy, in, 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 in marketing and everything, instead of double the revenue, you treble the, the revenue. They don't understand that because they invest a lot of money. Well, they spend a lot of money. They spend a lot of money. Not invest, yeah. They spend a lot of money. But you have to, to spend well. Your former teammate, Gary Neville, has said it's time for the Glazers to go. Yes. Um, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But he didn't want me to be the president of the club. They didn't want me. And the fan has to know. <laughs> have to know that, you that I went and traveled. To Manchester. Yeah, to give them the opportunity to succeed in the next decades. And that you didn't want. Okay, be honest. Do you think you would be the best person to do that job? I, I think I... Uh, You're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I smile because I say I will do it because I love what I do now. I never earn so much money, you know, even in football. I do many things that I love, only things about passions. You know, So I'm very happy. But I felt, first I met Alex Ferguson to say that, to, to know what he thought about it. And he, he thought that it was a good idea. So he, he introduced me to all the world. I felt, you know, guilty in not trying to help this club to, to do better. Mm. I said to myself for five years, I will put everything on hold and concentrate 100% on that. Mm. And if I am concentrated on 100% of that, I can tell you that I will do it well. Mm. Very well. Very, very, very well. Is the office still open? I feel good with myself. I tried. They don't want it. That's their choice. But I tried. Manchester United, do you want to be successful, Carl? That was the offer. Um, I love the idea of making up a president of football role as opposed to, you know, director of football or a football director or whatever. It's just not quite glamorous enough, is it, for Cantona? It is that very Cantona way of, of phrasing things. Uh, and it's one of those things where part of me once wished it had happened so I can see it, but also a lot, many more parts of me go... I'm not sure Eric Cantona would have enjoyed that job. Uh, can you imagine Eric Cantona sat in front of a desk and having to go between a London office and Manchester office and having to do negotiations in, say, uh, with Real Madrid representatives as well? I can't really see it. But I can also see Eric Cantona would have some very, very strong opinions on, say, the refurbishment that needs to happen at Old Trafford. Uh, I can imagine if Eric Cantona was president of football, the women's team would not have had to change in Portaloos a couple of seasons ago. Uh, and I think that is, that's the fun of Cantona. That he, even though he might not necessarily be the most orthodox or um, <clears throat> organized gentleman in the world, if he's passionate about something, that passion tends to, to shine through everything and it ends up being more good than bad in the end eventually as long as your name isn't a certain French national team coach. <laughs> I can't imagine he'd toe the party line either. That would be the other issue for anyone uh, who's technically his boss at Old Trafford. He's taking the mic though, Andy, isn't he? Surely. Mm, surely. Surely not. Surely. You just don't know. I think he, he often describes and does it again in the interviews Life has been this great pantomime, a circus, and he's prepared to 
play the clown sometimes. And the end result is people listen to what he's got to say and he makes good points. And I, I like that about him. I've seen from time to time his name linked with the Manchester United manager's job and some fans going, Garrick in, he'll sort it out. And I, I don't buy that, if I'm honest. I just think it would lead to more chaos and, and, and be short term. And Ferguson indulged him in the right ways because he needed to. Ferguson was a great man manager with, with Eric and he would impose rules on all of his squad with the exception of Eric, which drove his teammates mad. But then he got away with it because he'd deliver on the pitch and they were a little bit younger than him, most of them. So they looked up to him. Visually, he's got that charisma which Adam talks about and just his look and turning up the collars. So some something so simple about that, isn't it? The shirt's got a collar and he just turns it up and looks like the coolest man in the world. But would I want him as manager? Nah. There's absolutely no way the Glazers would want Eric Cantona anywhere near anything which involves financial expenditure at Manchester United. Maybe some sort of ambassadorial role, but he'd never go for that. He just wouldn't do that. He's a free spirit, and I like him for being a, a free spirit and an independent thinker. Yeah, he even refers to that in the interview with Adam and the idea that he was in a, a hotel during his time at Manchester United because he wanted to feel free. Uh, quite a different reflection on how successful that was for him, Carl, than Jose Mourinho, who uh, <laughs> apparently was never settled in Manchester because he lived in a hotel, despite the fact that I'm sure his underpants got picked up every day. I could never get over that Lowry story and Mourinho outwardly saying he lives in a hotel because he doesn't like cleaning up after himself. Yeah, but it, it's, a, um, it's a serviced hotel. It's just a big room. You know, What difference does it make if it's an apartment or a hotel? It was, it was so overplayed that at the time. I just never really got my head around uh, I think with Cantona, and I, I, I often go back to the Alex Ferguson documentary that came out not too long ago. There's a good section on what Andy's described about how Cantona was indulged. There's a segment where one of the members of Class of 92 describes how Ferguson was very strict on how you had to dress for a home game and was chastising some of those players. And then Cantona walks in completely flaunting and not wearing a tie and whatever. And Ferguson just goes, see that, boys? Style. Um. <laughs> that, that, that story changes so much as well. It's brilliant. When different players tell it, Cantona's got a different outfit on him. I'm pretty sure Lee Sharp's told me a story where he's got like double denim on and a pair of. <laughs> I think he's always got a pair of night trainers on. Yeah, to be he's fair. got trainers and he's got some like a jean jacket involved in there somewhere. It was the town hall, I think. I think they had a civic meeting at the town hall and they were all supposed to go in club suits. Um, and basically, I think Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs were getting hammered for by Ferguson for having even maybe brown shoes on or something as mundane as that rather than black, and then Eric turns up and he's double denim and white trainers. It was a Thierry Muller jacket. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it was a dinner for Norman Davis, who I was telling you about. Right, okay. Who just left the club in 1995, and the players thought that highly of him. They had a whip round, they put money in, and they bought him a car, which he drove for many years around the streets of Unsworth near Bury. And all the players were told the dress code. Eric turns up in his red trainers. And even then, Fergie was good because he'd just be like, yeah, but it's Eric. You're just you're just <laughs> players. He's a superstar. When you get to his level, I'll let you wear what you want as well. But great, great that we can talk about these stories years later. Yeah, I can't remember. There's another player as well. It might have been David May, possibly, who told the story about the, the dressing room at Sellers Park after the Kung Fu kick. 
And they're all thinking for the first time ever, Cantona is going to get the hairdryer treatment because not only has he kicked a supporter in the crowd, he's got sent off and United have ended up drawing the game at Crystal Palace. And it was a match that they needed to win because, of course, it was a very tight title race against Blackburn. So they're sort of in the back of their minds, rubbing their hands together, thinking, oh, Eric's going to get it here. He's going to absolutely get it. And Ferguson goes around the room, absolutely hammering Peter Smichael for what he did, Gary Pallister for what he did. All like aspects of the match, you know, you didn't pick him up, you let your runner go, you didn't run hard enough, you didn't cover enough ground. And then he gets to Canton and says, Eric, you, you can't be doing stuff like that. <laughs> Fair enough. It always speaks to a different age of football. And like Andy said, you often see, <clears throat> I'll, be, I'll be quite mean here. Very often when there's an international break, the same four or five arguments happen on social media. Uh, about referee decisions or what's creative or what's the best World Cup or whatnot. And very often one of the more classic ones is, was Eric Cantona overrated? And someone comes along and says, Eric Cantona's record in Europe is XYZ and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Completely missing the context of when Eric Cantona was playing for United in the early 90s, how many non-domestic born players could play and the impact that had as well. And while there were some games he didn't play well, the great impact of Cantona is essentially what he did to all the younger players below him in the in the United squad. And I think Cantona is one of those players that United fans will remember dearly because he was that extra invisible 10% that got United to where they needed to be. Um, I don't think you can ever get a player like that again. No one, you know, the world's just a little bit more connected. You're not going to be as impressed by some sort of urban French person coming in anymore like this I don't think players get indulged in the same way that Cantona was indulged by Ferguson and if they do it tends to get a lot more annoying oinks like me in the press conference going what's this story about you (laughs) indulging your football player there as well Um, which means Cantona is Cantona and why we all love him Uh, he's he's very much a player I think to non-United fans often it's like you wouldn't care it's just Cantona. Because of Cantona, players like Evro joined Manchester United because they'd seen what he's done. They'd seen a stadium in Northern England where the French tricolour was flying, where the fans were singing La Marseillaise loudly, thousands of them. It would be unheard of to before that actually happened to think that it did happen. There's a, a lovely film which a lot of you uh, will have watched and maybe some of you haven't called Looking for Eric. It's a Ken Loach film from 2009. And even there, he got right stuck into some of United's hardcore fans and got them on as extras and got them involved in filming for a couple of days and they all wore Cantona masks. And he was he was a hero on so many levels, the, the way he dressed, what he said, the goals he scored, because if he was rubbish, he couldn't have got away with any of this. And just the places where he'd pop up around town, he'd drink in the Peveril of the Peak. Footballers do not go there. He was really good friends with Cloud Bolly, Basil Bolly's brother, who was a student in Manchester at the time. And he actually wrote a book this year about socialising with Eric when he lived in Manchester. And it's really interesting the places that they go to. They were in the Northern Quarter well before it became a cool place which was starting to It wouldn't have even been called the Northern Quarter, would it, back then? My dad worked in that part of town in the 80s. It was really, really rough on Newton Street and Lever Street. And Eric struck up friendships with people like Peter Boyle, who sang the songs at Old Trafford. 
and he just made really unusual connections. Well, Pete went on the big breakfast, didn't he? Yeah, I went on it. I was on the big breakfast that day with him. Were you? I never knew that. <laughs> Me and Pete Boyle, and and you know who the host was? Um, Robbie Williams was the host. Really. Really? Incredible. Really? So go on, me just, and just Pete Boyle. Say, if anyone doesn't know this story, Andy, just just tell the story because it is sort of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, really. So this would be the summer of 95. It's probably my biggest claim to fame, this, because uh, we, we went down to London. It was being filmed in some East London near a canal lot. I remember <laughs> it. Uh, Peter went on. Peter was, that year, would go down to Croydon where Eric was in court. They struck up a really good friendship, but yeah, went down. They put us up in in Rother Hive, and we got introduced to the host, Robbie Williams. And my claim to fame was he knew who we were. He's like, "All right, you do United fanzine, don't you?" We were like well, buzzing, and this was when Robbie was really famous. And Peter would go on to sing songs, and he'd make up songs about Cantonar. So his most famous one was, "We'll drink a drink a drink to Eric the King," and um. Peter once ran onto the pitch at Sellers Park with no clothes on to chase Eric Cantona. <laughs> I think Peter liked to think he looked a little bit like Eric Cantona. And maybe if Eric Cantona would have been 20 kilos less, there might have been more of a passing resemblance to it. <laughs> but we were young lads in Manchester and this guy had come along and made a team which never won the league, win the league. And it wasn't just because he was an effective striker. There were so many reasons which made us buzz off him more. He'd come from Leeds. He'd been a hero in Leeds. So if you take your rival's greatest player in that sort of Madrid taking Figo from Barcelona style and did that a decade before, that adds to the value as well. And when you hear him speak, he was so original. Everyone had a story about him. He made himself approachable in the city of Manchester. He realised that these people pay my wages. He didn't lock himself away in a mansion in deepest Cheshire. He lived in Boothstown. Boothstown, Salford, with its semi-detached houses. There's no other footballers there. I know somebody <laughs> spoke to him last week, and all they spoke about was Boothstown and art. They didn't even speak about football. He would never have like an advisor with him. He chooses the jobs that he wants to do. He passes off all the kinds of opinions we're still reading about and enjoying. But as Carl says, some people just don't get it, but I don't care. If you're a Manchester United fan, I remember when he was at Leeds, um, Leeds fans just properly fell for him. They made uh, tapes with us. They had a song about Eric Cantona. They sang Who Are Cantona. They had T-shirts with Eric Cantona on, which they had to donate to Romanian orphanages because he left the club to join Manchester United. Just the way that he signed, how cheap he was, how Sheffield Wednesday turned down a chance to sign Eric Cantona, how his background... In, I've got a piece coming up for the Athletic quite soon with Jess Brolson, the former Manchester United winger. And he said, yeah, I used to play with Cantona at Bordeaux. I went, what, what? Say that again. Cantona played for Bordeaux. He went, yeah, he wasn't that good. And when he arrived in England, he burned all his bridges in France. He was probably not far away from quitting football. And he made such an impact. I've probably got more books about that one person than any other footballer. You know, Roy Keane is fascinating for a different way. And I, yeah, I would have loved Cantona not to have retired in 97 and destroy our summers that year. I would have loved him to carry on playing. I would have loved Manchester United to win the European Cup with him. But 
the fact that he didn't means that we still ask questions and we can still debate it and he still he still remains a highly relevant person. Yeah, it maintains a mystique, doesn't it? Certainly, right. Well, that was a brilliant journey, wasn't it? Um, just like an Eric Cantona interview in some senses. But if you want to read Adam's interview with Eric Cantona, it's in full on The Athletic right now. You can also listen to it, as I said before, on The Athletic Football Podcast on Monday's version. And remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, I think we got a little bit carried away there speaking about Cantona. This it wasn't supposed to be all of the podcast, um, but it has taken up quite a lot of time. So we've just got enough space to squeeze in a little bit of international chat. Harry Maguire, Randy, again, a hot topic, it seems, for England, or a not-so-hot topic, depending on which way you look at it. Amazing how much of a divisive figure he's become now. Nemanja Matic speaking about it as well. You can read his words on The Athletic. Yeah, he just seems to be someone that people have a really strong opinion on these days. I think fans, some fans need a scapegoat and he is the main scapegoat at the moment. I don't agree at all with some of the abuse that he gets. I think it goes way too far. I saw him tweet a few weeks ago um, about a charity and he got loads of abuse. And I just thought there's something really wrong with this. Yes, his career is not in a great moment, but he's not the worst footballer ever. And the way that some people are piling onto him, sell him now, get rid of him now. You're not allowed to sell him now. He's got a contract. He's not going anywhere. And he's he was a decent player for United up until Gdansk. United missed him in Gdansk. He came back and was he was in team of the tournament for Euro 2020. I know that was said last week and people laughed at him, but that is a fact. It's an indisputable fact. He was voted in the team of the tournament. He's not a complete clown. I think that statistics can work against him and they and are doing at the moment. So he starts the first couple of games this season. They don't go well at all. Brentford was an absolute disaster. And then he gets rested and United's form picks up significantly. It's not ideal because he's got a World Cup coming up. Gareth Southgate has has got his back and he needs people to have his back at the moment within football. And he's not having a good time in his career, but that happens to every single footballer. I just think some of the abuse is too strong, it's too much. Fans are absolutely entitled 
to have their opinions. People come up to me outside Old Trafford going back one, two, three, four years and say, I'm not having Maguire. That's fine. That's an opinion. But some of it is pernicious. It's, it really goes beyond uh, the pale. And apart from anything else, if he doesn't play another game for United this season, and I think he will, United need a squad. There's going to be a lot of games this year. United need players who can come in and perform and can be trusted. And we can pick apart his game. We can say he's better defending than he is um, attacking as a defender. We can say he needs fast players around him or not. But this idea of seeing him as a sort of comedy figure and linking a fee to him, which he had absolutely nothing to do with. Do you want another fact? Pep Guardiola wanted to sign him for Manchester City. I know that 100%. He's not a bad judge of a footballer, Guardiola, is he? It's gone all right for him so far, I would say. The thing with Maguire, I suppose, Carl, you'd hope that him being out of the Manchester United team would have him maybe out of the sort of glare of the sharpest of scrutinies, um, which usually when a player isn't playing, that does tend to happen. It gives them an opportunity to regroup, to work on aspects of the game that perhaps they feel they need to work on and come back stronger. This international break has only deepened the scrutiny, hasn't it? It's not actually helping Harry being out of the team in the sense that the scrutiny's lessening. It's actually going higher, it seems. It is. It's, it's a really difficult situation. And I think Matic was bang on the money. And he said what people are doing to him is a disaster. So you know, if you look at it from just a Manchester United perspective, he's not in good form. He's not been in good form for the better part of six or seven months. And the reasons for that are complex. I think it's been made difficult for the fact that he, Solskjaer retained him as the club captain where possibly could have taken him out of the line and rushed him back for injury and that caused some problems in the squad we know Eric Bai <clears throat> did not enjoy the fact that Harry Maguire played ahead of him uh, so there's things like that I think Ten Hag renaming him as the club captain probably built another rod for his back whereas possibly you know, now we're in a, a situation now where Maguire doesn't look like he's going to get in the best 11 for United and it's probably the best thing for it if you can remember the, the game against Real Sociedad, Harry Maguire played as if he had everything to prove and you just want him to take a breath. And I think that's one of the, the more difficult things for Harry Maguire right now is that he is getting a lot of criticism. Some of it is justified because he's not in a great run of form and some of it is really quite insidious and goes beyond the pale. Let's not forget, not too long ago, a bomb threat was called to his house for his great crime of not being that good at playing football for a couple of weeks, which is odd. The thing about Maguire I th is there needs to be a, a run of games where he can play and not have everyone yell at him for every single bad touch. So eventually he can stop having bad touches. That might be the Europa League. If you know United have a decent result in, in Cyprus and then have a decent result in San Sebastian, then Maguire could be the Europa League quote-unquote captain. Um, whether or not you want your £80 million centre-back to do that is up to you. But also, as Andy said, it's not his fault that he's 80 million. Well, Maguire's in action again, or likely to be in action again later for England against Germany. So I'm sure we'll have another round of uh, feedback, shall we say, to debate <laughs> on the next podcast. Let's talk about another man who's been out of the team's not quieting down the scrutiny either, Cristiano Ronaldo. Because he is in the team for Portugal, he's captain and leading the line for them during this international break. Um, Dan Sheldon wrote about it on The Athletic. The headline says that Ronaldo was off the pace. Um, 
interesting dynamic to his international future as well, Carl Ronaldo, because, you know, he's been so central to everything Portugal have done over the course of the last generation, really. Um, he's saying that he still wants to be playing in two years' time in the European Championships. Uh, he's still in the team for Fernando Santos, but more scrutiny on his position than ever, really. And that seems like he's been immune to that. Certainly, even the issues he's had back in the Premier League has not really transferred to the, the national team until now, maybe. Yes, so the front page of Portuguese newspaper Ebola, uh, apologies if my Portuguese pronunciation is bad, uh, basically uh, translates to less Ronaldo, more Portugal. And I think that's the first time I've been keeping tabs of Portuguese newspapers going, oh, they are talking about the concept of possibly dropping front Ronaldo uh, for future games. So Portugal are in a really interesting position in that they've got perhaps the deepest talent pool they've had maybe ever. Uh, but Santos, who still has a decent amount of credit in the bank for Euro 2016, wants to play a deeply conservative style of football that I like to call sufferball. Uh, it's quite interesting in that before the Euros, Gareth Southgate commissioned basically a study into France, who won the World Cup, and Portugal, who won the Euros, and basically went, how did these two teams play winning football? And the conclusion was, you know, what we now see in England. Three at the back, wing backs, trying to win games by a single goal and being... You do need to score, though. I think you missed that bit out, maybe. Yes, you you do need to score. Uh, Playing with, so, you know, Portugal play a style of football that at, at, at times is not too dissimilar from Gareth Southgate's England. And the key point of that is you do have to score. You have to get your shots off. And Ronaldo previously, you know, highest goal scorer in international football, got more caps than nearly everyone currently playing international football today. Fantastic. Great. But similarly, like we've said in this podcast in recent weeks, he's not getting that separation between him and a centre-back in the way he used to. He's not able to get off shots he used to get three or four years ago. And while Portugal historically isn't great at creating strikers, which I find really fun. It's like they saved all their talent and just poured it all into Ronaldo at the same time. Uh, there are now questions as to whether or not Ronaldo should be the best person to lead the line uh, at that World Cup. Uh, me personally, coming from Ghanaian heritage, after I've seen Mohamed Salisu catch up with Cristiano Ronaldo and tackle him in Manchester United versus Southampton, I wouldn't mind if Ronaldo continued playing for Portugal up front. <laughs> Fair point. Um it's not gone great for Ronaldo, has it, by the sound of it, during this international break. But a couple of his teammates, Bruno Fernandes, scored in that in that game that they played against the Czech Republic, a 4-0 win. Diogo Delo scored twice, uh, which is even more surprising and, and, and encouraging to see. Christian Eriksen as well, Andy, another Manchester United player enjoying himself in international football. He scored a long-range goal against Croatia and then created eight chances in Denmark's 2-0 win over France uh, on Sunday night. So he's had a decent break, hasn't he? That sounds brilliant. A bit more of that when he comes back, please. He's had a decent month. He was Manchester United's player of the month, despite there only being four games in September. Um, he's he's great. He's exceeding expectations for me. He's a, a chance creator. He's doing that for club and for country. I think there were some small doubts when he came to Manchester United. Can he stand out for a team at the top end of the Premier League? Well, he didn't need to do that at the start because they're at the bottom end of the Premier League. But now the team are coming good. He's one of the main reasons for Manchester United doing well. So this is a good moment for him and it is great to see. 
Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, the women's team as well, just to round things off, Carl, two out of two for them at the start of the new WSL season. Uh, a, a good weekend because a lot of teams in that league are dropping points already. A lot of the teams you expect Manchester United to be challenging against, the likes of Manchester City, of Chelsea. You know, Arsenal have done okay, in fairness. They're two out of two like United, but it's good to see that they're made a strong start and another good win at West Ham, their first win in the capital for a couple of years. Yes, it is encouraging. There's a great piece from Floyd Hughes uh, about Chelsea's women's team uh, where she outlines how the more more experienced players in WSL have left um, recently and our experience is in high demand. Uh, United did lose some key players this summer. I think they're a little bit threadbare in central midfield at the moment, uh, but at the moment it's going well. Mark Skinner gave quite a fun uh, interview after victory over West Ham where he said, I asked them in a pre-match meeting, do you want to be the hunter or do you want to be the prey? I asked them to prove who they wanted to be and in the second half today, they went out and hunted the opponent. I was really pleased with us. Uh, if you haven't had the treat of listening to a Mark Skinner interview or press conference, I recommend it. He's a very verbose uh, football manager. I very often go, oh, wow, that was an amazing 15 minutes. And I go, and I go wait, he didn't actually explain the tactics he's good at the you know obfuscating that for me for a bit i think the big challenge for manchester united women's team this season is the same as it has been for the last three or four seasons is can they get into that top three can they get champions league football and kick on of city chelsea and arsenal if you, you know you gave me a shiny penny right now and said who's most likely to drop out of that top three i'd probably say city because they have had a huge talent drain lucy bronze is among a number of players who left so there is an opportunity to break in, but United will have to play at their absolute maximum week in, week out together. Okay, we'll keep a close eye on them, of course, as the WSL season continues. That's it, though, for Talk of the Devils for today. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back on Thursday to preview the Manchester derby. Laurie Whitwell will also be back as well. And he's writing an article on the search for Joe Glazer. We'll speak about that and also reflect on another set of worrying financial reports for Manchester United during this week when we're back on Thursday's show. But Andy, thank you for being with us. Carl, thank you as well. And thanks for listening at home. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.